everyone. I'm Nina, and I'll be giving our scripture reading for today. So Galatians 3, verses 1 through 14, and we'll be reading from the NIV version. And foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Were you experiencing so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again I ask, did God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Surely no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Nina. So we're continuing in Galatians, uh, the series uh, on stressing the true freedom we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Something we need to be reminded of every moment as we're alive. You know, since my last year in high school, I've been nearsighted. And so I need, you know, glasses to help me. There you are. To see distant more clearly. Not really bad in that, but uh, it does help me read signs, and now I can read the back uh, projections <laughs> better. Um, but the key that I'm going to be in our sermon today is to see how focused and how we can focus with, in, in one way, and how we see is important to life in general. And when we lose focus, uh, our focus or focus on the wrong thing then we can't really see clearly in many ways. So, for example, take a look at this picture of this young woman. Right? You see this young woman? Can you see her in the picture? Now take a look at this picture of this old woman. Do you see the old woman? It's the same picture, but it depends on what you look at and what you focus on. You can see either a young woman or an old woman. Do you see it? The old woman? Oh, yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. So if, if you look at the necklace as the mouth of the young woman, then you can start to see the old woman's picture. Yeah, so it depends on what you focus on. And then here's a, uh, another picture. Uh, what do you see here? So it, it looks like it's kind of uh, moving a little bit, right? But it actually is not. It's, it's an illusion. It's not moving at all. Or what do you see in this picture? It looks like a bunch of intersecting 
circles, but actually it's an illusion as well. It's just five concentric circles. Just try to do that, and it messes with you. But it's, it's an illusion again. So it depends on what you focus on. And this one, too, I like because if you look at it a little bit, it always seems like something's a little bit moving on the uh, edges until if you just focus on the very center of it and just don't shift your focus, then everything comes to a standstill. So it's, a, it's, again, another optical illusion, but it depends on where we focus our attention, then we can really see the clarity of what actually is there. And it's the same thing for us, is when we lose focus on whatever it is in life, then we will be unable to see what's really clearly there. And, and that is what was wrong with the Galatians that Paul is bringing out here, is that they had been told the gospel it's not going to the next slide for some reason. It's not working anymore. Oh, okay, now I'm ahead of myself. Okay, there we go. Yeah, so losing focus, they had lost focus of the gospel. And this is what this text in the first part of chapter 3 is about, is that things are getting blurry for them. And the Apostle Paul is trying to wake them up and say, hey, you guys are not seeing clearly anymore. You're adding something, as we saw in chapter 1 and chapter 2, that anything added to the gospel that he and Barnabas preached is no gospel at all. So they've lost focus of what is truly the gospel. And the Galatians were therefore just lose, losing focus of the clear picture of God's grace, or we could say the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and listen to how our text starts again. He says, what is this? <laughs> I think that's uh, the words of a song. Let's go back here. What's, what are we doing here? Okay. So I'm on, I'm on uh, slide number nine. There we go. Okay. Right in the beginning of our, our text. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ, was clearly portrayed as crucified? Now, the word here for foolish in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in just simply means without thinking, an absence of wisdom, lacking like discernment, and in this case, spiritual discernment. Uh, and the believers in the Galatian churches had acted like someone had put them under a spell, like a magical spell, so they were unable then to understand clearly what they had already heard and accepted and believed in. And Paul and Barnabas, when they had gone to them, and started to establish these churches, they had clearly taught Jesus' life and his teachings and his resurrection and who he was now as Lord of all, and the Galatians had believed that wholeheartedly, and churches had been established. And, but then the circumcision group, as we learned last week, came and started teaching them other things, adding things that they needed to do as well as believe in Jesus as Lord, and so they lost, they lost their focus. They started to accept these other teachings and they went out of focus. And, and those teachings were that they had to begin to follow the law of the Old Testament in ways that, in a sense, made them think that they have to be Jewish. So that, like, they had to start, and the Jewish men would have to get circumcised, and they'd have to start eating certain things and doing things and celebrating things on certain days of the year and all the things that these, the Jewish Old Testament law was saying, even though they were not Jewish. They were Gentiles, and actually they didn't know much about the Old Testament law. They probably knew very little, and they were starting to learn it as they studied the scriptures. 
And uh, so it was like the gospel plus this Jewish, you got to become Jewish like Jewish. And uh, they had lost their focus of the truth. You know, it'd be like if, as crazy as if I said, so I'm, I'm white, Caucasian, if you didn't notice. And it would be like, to be a Christian, you have to become, Jeff, more Chinese, right? To be really a Christian. You can believe in Jesus, but you got to be more Chinese. So you got you to live like more and more, the more Chinese you become, the more Christian and a follower of Jesus you are. And so I've got to start eating like Chinese eat, like rice, and I've got to eat with maybe chopsticks all the time. I'd be a better Christian if I eat with chopsticks. And then I've got to eat uh, chodofu, you know, that's the smelly tofu, which, yeah, I, I'm glad I don't want to need to do that. And, uh, and then you've got to, like, go to the, uh, the customs and the culture, like in, on Chinese New Year, I can't just say Happy New Year, I've got to say gongchi, gongchi, you know, that kind of, you know, and, and if I did all that, I know if my father-in-law was alive, he would have been so happy if I did all those things, you know. Uh, even though he wasn't a Christian, he was just Chinese from Taiwan, but he would have been happy. And, you know, if we started thinking that way, like, you have to become something that you're not in the sense of, like, culturally to be a better follower of Jesus, then we're adding stuff that's just meaningless to the gospel. Sounds ridiculous, but that's similar to what the Galatians were learning from the circumcision group, we call them, because they were saying, you've got to follow these rules and these things in order to really be saved. Believe in Jesus, but you've got to follow the Old Testament law as well. And Paul is passionately saying to them, wake up, you know, snap out of it. You know, you foolish-hearted, not being able to see blind Galatians. Uh, you're not following the real gospel. You know, that's the Jeff version. Uh, so Paul continued in verse 2 through 5. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard are you so foolish? There's that word again. After beginning by means of the Spirit, you are now trying, or are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now Paul did not only appeal to what he and Barnabas had clearly taught them, but he's appealing to their experience when they were with them as they began to accept the truth of Jesus Christ. They saw miracles happen among them. They saw these miraculous things because of the Spirit of God in their midst showing the reality of the truth. And when a person believes in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God indwells us by faith and following Jesus as Lord. And we are filled with the Spirit to do the work of God. And then we have the power to resist the sinful things that we desire to do and to do what is right for the right reasons. Why are the Galatians, after receiving the Holy Spirit through faith, now trying to achieve something that they already have? That's what Paul is saying. Why are you doing that? You already have it. Why are you trying to achieve it in some way? And this is why Paul calls them foolish twice in our text, meaning they lack this spiritual discernment. They lack the focus on the truth. They're fuzzy. They're, they've lost and, and are confused about the teachings uh, because of the teachings of the circumcision group. Listen to verse 5 again. So I ask, again, I ask, 
Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So remember, he's appealing to their experience. These miracles as well, not only the teachings. And, and if you want to learn more about those, you can go to Acts chapter 13 and 14. And there's this like, uh, these miracles that are exposed or retold there uh, and have an account of, of these miracles that happened in the province of Galatia, like uh, in Iconium and in Lystra. In Lystra specifically, there was a man born crippled. And then he was able to walk miraculously. And then Paul was stoned and left for dead. But then he miraculously was able to just survive and get up and walk away. Um, that was in Lystra as well. So Iconium and Lystra, these towns, these were towns in Galatia, that province. So after witnessing the presence and power of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus, these Galatians were trying to achieve it themselves. Like it wasn't good enough. What God was doing for them was not good enough. Have you ever felt that way? And, and, and I, I'm included in this. We do the same thing today. We may be hard on the Galatians as we study this, this text, but we do the same things today. You do the same things. I do the same things. At times, we try to add value to what God has already done. We wrongly think that the things we do give us a way to measure ourselves as, quote, spiritually mature. Like, oh, I'm doing that now. I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, like, like, yeah, like anything's changed in from the sight of God toward us. You know, we, we think we're more righteous, and we can compare ourselves then with others and take pride that we're at least not, we're better than they are, and, you know, I, I read my Bible more often than they do, you know, that makes me what, better in some way? Um, or I go to church, we say go to church, but we are the church, right? We gather as a church more regularly than us, somebody else, you know, or I serve and they don't serve, right? How often do these thoughts come into our heads in comparing each other? ourselves the other this is legalism and or we can call it religion if we want this is religion legalism is a curse because people equate their success in doing good things and good deeds with their spiritual maturity so hey if i do this this and this i'm pretty good well at least i'm better than nathan i mean yeah yeah or 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 whoever paul or you know rich or whoever, I just start thinking about, hey, I'm doing better. Hey, I preach. You know, at least I'm better than you. I'm a pastor. I'm better than everybody. You know, if you start thinking that way, then it's all legalism. It's a, and actually, we're under this curse. When we're thinking like this, we start thinking thoughts like this. How can they be a Christian and do that? Or we may even think of that about ourselves. How can I be a Christian and have done that? How could they be a Christian and cheat on a test? Or how could they be a Christian and sleep and have sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend before they're married? How could they do that? It's almost like we have set ourselves up as superior than they are. We have lost focus of the truth when we start thinking like that. In a sense, we lose focus of the truth whenever we respond to the grace of God with religion, I say. There we go. Or we can change religion to legalism. Religion, or moralism we can call it, is avoiding God as Lord and Savior by developing a moral righteousness and then presenting it to God in an effort to say, look God, how good I am. You need to do something for me now because I have worked hard to be good. 
so you need to give me some kind of, you know, pat on the back or give me something because I worked so hard for you. In a sense, we're gaining, we're adding value to our spirituality by our own efforts. And with this kind of view, religion, we view God's grace as cheap, as free. Where it has, it is freely given to us in Christ Jesus, but it came at such a tremendous cost so that we could be saved. And we forget that part, though. We just say, oh, you know, it's just free. I can just accept Jesus as my Lord, walk down the aisle and, you know, accept him as my Lord, my heart, and I'm all good. And I'm going, I'm going to live forever. And I'll just do what I want to do. If we're thinking like that, then we're, we're adding value in a sense. We only view God's grace as free without any cost. And then we make the mistake to try to add value because we don't see it as good enough. We don't feel like it's good enough. So we have to add value to it. We do good deeds for God to get things from God. And if something bad happens to us, then we say, wait a minute, I've been so good. Why would this happen to me? How could this happen? Or why would my friend die? Or, you know, I remember this thought entered my mind when my father died. He was working hard in the church. He was working in ministry outside, you know, along with his work, regular work. And, and my dad died suddenly, and I started thinking that way. Man, how could you take such a good guy? You know, he was my dad. Why'd you take him? You know, our identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard we work or how moral we are, as, at least from our own perspective, right? So we look down then on others that we perceive that are lazy or immoral, or at least not as moral as we are, right? We feel superior to others. This is total legalism and, quote, I put under religion, because religion is a man-made way of trying to achieve something to gain effort or favor with God. And the problem with religion is that obedience is not the same thing as transformation. Obedience is not the same thing as transformation. In the end, all effort is fueled by some motivation. And we know that our motivation, as the scriptures say, is not pure. Uh, and it's not the gospel usually, the grace of God. And when it isn't, we're not obeying or doing good things for the sake of God just alone, for his sake. No, and our character will not be transformed to be like Jesus in that case. Uh, there's an illustration of this. It's not the next slide. <laughs> this is a little bird. There we go, yeah. yeah. When a baby bird falls out of the nest uh, in the distant sight of, well, let's say, some predator, like a fox. So the baby bird's helpless, right? It's going to get killed. It can't fly. But, thankfully, in this case, there's a little hole at the base of the trunk of the tree. It fell out. I mean, and, and it wasn't hurt by the fall. So it, it, before the fox can come over and get it, it scampers into that little hole and survives. But if, as that time goes on, if all that baby bird does is scamper into the hole every time some predator comes near it, uh, and it never learns how to fly, it's eventually probably going to get eaten right? Because it's not going to be able to scamper fast enough if it goes too far away from the tree. And it's not living to the design, that the way God designed it, to be able to fly away from those predators, right? It's supposed to be able to fly if it never learns how to fly. Um, Pastor Tim Keller puts it in another way. He says, in the short run, we sh should simply obey God because it is his right and his due. But in the long run, the ultimate way to shape our lives and escape the deadly influence of our besetting sins is by moving the hearts with the gospel. 
is by God's grace in Christ Jesus, we can say. So religion leads us to take credit for our good works. If you ever, been, if you ever start thinking that way, I confess I have too, we start to fall, we lose focus of the gospel. We begin to take credit for our good works when actually anything good we do is only because God enables us to. So we can't take credit for it. It's all him, not us. And in this sense, we're trying to add value to our lives by what we do. Similar to the Galatians, right? Oh, gosh, it's not good enough. We need to, like, get circumcised. I mean, that would not be the first thing I would think of, you know, to try to do. But that's what they were doing because they thought, like, this is important to follow Jesus. And many of us fall into this thinking with respect to, say, our devotional time. Right? How many of you think of that? We feel so bad about ourselves. Oh, I just, I haven't read the Bible for like weeks. I'm such a bad Christian. Well, God doesn't see you as bad. He sees Jesus and you're forgiven. He just desires for you to take steps toward him. But we think of ourselves that way. We either devalue us or value us higher by what we do. For example, a woman named Mary came to her pastor and complained that she felt really dry spiritually, and she was really faithful. She didn't ever miss a devotional time in the morning. That's when she did it, and she would read her one chapter a day in the scriptures, and then she would spend time in prayer, and she would, you know, she would do this every single day. She was very faithful, but yet she felt totally dry and that her prayers were meaningless. And so the pastor suggested, say, okay, I, I tell you, try this. I don't want you to pray to the Lord or read the Bible for the next week. Don't pray at all. Don't read the scriptures, period. Just stay away. Don't say it. Just try that for one week, seven days. She said, okay. So she went home, and then just two days later, she called up the pastor and said, Pastor, I, I, I made it two days in, and then I just broke down. I couldn't, I just, I needed to pray, so I prayed. And since then, my times in prayer and reading the scriptures have been so encouraging to me. So what happened to Mary? What changed? Well, when the pastor removed, it seemed, this legal obligation she had, like, oh, I got to do this faithfully to be a good Christian or to be close to Jesus or whatever she was thinking, like, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. It became this rote thing that she had to do. It lost meaning. It lost, she was dry. But when she didn't do it at all, she began to say, well, I desire to do it. I want to do this because I love Jesus. And it became a heartfelt motivation of hers. And she connected to the Lord in that way. Because that obligation was removed. Yeah, just don't pray for a week. I mean, your pastor tells you, usually pastors don't say that, right? Don't pray, don't read your Bible, okay? Well, yeah, don't take that. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but Paul writes in verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And when we strive for perfect obedience to the law as an achievement, then we are under the curse of the law because there's no way we're going to have perfect obedience of God's commands because we still struggle this side of eternity with the sinful nature. I mean, you'll read the scriptures. Every intention of the hearts of minds of man is evil in some way, and that includes you and me, though we are being redeemed and transformed into the image of Christ. Praise the Lord. But 
actually the purpose of God's law and God's commands is just to simply reveal that we are sinful and then lead us to repentance. That's all it is, is just to say, hey, see, <laughs> you broke the law again or you didn't obey that command, and, and that just reminds us of our need for Christ and his salvation. Our sinful nature always seeks to get away with sin in some way, uh, and that will always be our heart when we are under especially legal obligation to follow Christ, trying to add value to our own lives. Take the speed limit, for example. This is something we can all relate to if you're driving, right? Some of us only observe this law out of legal obligation. And when we think we can get away with speeding, we'll do it, right? Because we're not going to get caught, we don't think. So we just do it. Our thinking goes like this. You know, I'm speeding because I'm late. Uh, I remember yesterday morning I was late coming to church, and I whizzed out of my, my neighborhood, and then I got about a quarter of the way here, and I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> That's... I'm not, I'm not going to get there any earlier, really, because I'm just, they got lights I got to wait at and all this stuff. So I'm just speeding from one light to the next. You know, like, that's really going to help, you know. <laughs> so I, uh, but anyway, that was my thinking, right? I was going to save time, or I'm going to try to make it up, or I was out in the middle of nowhere, right? We're on the highway in the middle of the night, maybe, and we're just like, I'm just going to punch it because no, nobody's going to be out this time. But we know we're operating under legal obligation when we, how many of us, Whenever we see a policeman, no matter if we're going the speed limit or not, we just have this habit of like, whoa, slow down. Then we know we're, we're operating under legal obligation, right? Or because, you know, if we're doing that, because we're only really in the heart to obey the speed limit when there's an authority figure around that may catch us. Now, otherwise, we're just going to do what we're going to do. And now let's apply this thinking to the Christian life. If we live like the Galatians then we live like we're under legal obligation to obey the commands of God. You know, this is religion. This is legalism. This is very important to understand as a follower of Jesus because it's woven into the gospel. We live obeying the commands of God in church community or in front of people we think that are, quote, authorities in some way um, because we want to gain, we want to add value, and we think we can, uh, in front of those people, or even in our own thinking. And, but then when we're alone, or with people that we don't consider authorities of any kind, uh, we just do what we want, and we break the laws of God, right? And yeah, because nobody, no authorities we think are there to kind of punish us or look more lowly at us, at least in our own thinking. We think we're getting away with it, because none of these people are around, and these people could be authority figures in our lives. It could be bosses, right? You know, they say when the boss is away, the right mice play or whatever like that, right? And, you know, there's that whole thinking in our minds. Um, and, or it could be our spouse, authority figure, or pastor, or youth leaders, our parents, or certain people in our lives like peers. But we're wrong in this thinking. This is not, if we approach God this way, we are totally not following the gospel true freedom that we have in Christ. We're still under the curse, right? We're trying to <laughs> navigate, not want to get caught, or you know, we're trying to gain favor with God or something. But we will continue to live this divided life, you know, like try to look good here at the community and Christ and then go off and do our own thing and I don't want anybody to find out because they'll think worse of me, you know, whatever. Yeah, what does God think of you? What does God think of me? 
in Christ, he sees Jesus when he looks at you. He didn't see what you did or not did or how you messed up or screwed up, whatever. He didn't see that. He sees Christ in you. But as I was talking, is this your experience? Are you living out of a sense of legal obligation in some way? Under the curse? But instead, God wants us to live by faith in Jesus Christ. And this means that instead, God desires we live with heartfelt motivation to him in response to his grace that he has given to us. And Paul continues in verses 13 and 14. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. See, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Redeem just means to purchase in order to set free. So he has set us free from the curse of disobedience to the commands of God because Christ has already paid the penalty for us once and for all. Even the things we haven't done yet, he's already paid the penalty for those too. I mean, God's a great planner. We planned ahead because we knew that <laughs> we're going to do it again, right? This response to this tremendous gift is heartfelt motivation. Paul used Abraham as an illustration for the Galatians because Abraham is considered the father of the Jews, but was Abraham faithful in obedience to the Old Testament law that you know, the, the circumcision groups were saying? No, not at all. Why? Because the law was actually given later. It wasn't even around when Abraham was alive. So how could he obey it? <laughs> he didn't even know about it. So of course, no, he, didn't, he wasn't faithful in obeying this law. Um, yet, therefore, Abraham was not even circumcised. Huh. You know, in a sense, he was like the Gentiles, of, like the Galatians. Look, look back in verse 6 and 7. There we go. So also, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Now this is very important for the Galatians and also for us because the circumcision group was specifically claiming, I mean, they were called circumcision group because that was the key thing for Jewish men, to be circumcised, to be considered as part of God's chosen people, right? Well, they were saying, now in Christ we are chosen too, but you're not circumcised, so you better be circumcised so you can be included in the chosen people. But then Paul's saying, well, talk to me about Abraham, your father, you know, father of the Jews. When God credited him as righteous, right, was he even circumcised yet? No, he wasn't. And so, therefore, by faith as well in Christ, we are then given the righteousness of Christ. It's credited to us because of what Christ did. And in a sense, we then are become spiritual Israelites through faith in Jesus Christ. And look in verse 8. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's a quote from Genesis 15, 6. So did Abraham live a perfect life for God? No. He lied. He slept, had intercourse with his wife's servants so that because God's promise to him for a son hadn't come about yet, so he thought, 
well, maybe I'll help it out. You know, help the problems come out. You know, he, he was not perfect at, by all means. So was there anything that he did that counted to him as righteous? Nothing. He didn't do anything. He just believed in God's word that God had said to him. That's all. He believed and had faith in God and his word, and it was credited to him as righteous. He trusted God's word. And remember, this is about 2,000 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So from the beginning, God's plan of salvation for mankind has always been by faith. Justification by faith. Remember, justified, right? Justification. We talked about that last week. So when we come face to face with the gospel message, will we be changed by it? Are we changed by it? Are we transformed by it? Or are we living under legal obligation? Always trying to gain some kind of measure of value in our own minds. Where actually the value of Christ has already been given to us. If we truly have faith in him. You know, Jesus lived and died on a cross so that our sins will be forgiven. And when we place our faith in him as Savior and Lord, then we are seen by God as his chosen people, along with anybody else who has faith. And his spirit indwells us and is transforming us. Heartfelt motivation comes with real faith in Jesus. And when we remember the cost of our salvation, because it's very, very costly for our living, loving God, then we will respond with heartfelt motivation to follow him because of who he is, what he's done for us. And what we do for him just flows from that love we have. It's like when you love somebody, right? When you really love somebody, you like, ah, it's their birthday. Oh, man, I got to go buy him something. You know, you, you feel obligated? That's not real love then. <laughs> I had a guy one time, his quote, girlfriend was coming back, and he was like, ah, Jeff, can you come with me to the airport because I got to go pick her up? I'm like, what? <laughs> you don't want to go to the airport? To pick her up? I said, man, you've got to rethink this relationship. <laughs> you don't want to go to the airport alone to meet your honey to go pick her up. I was like, there's something wrong here. You know, it, it felt like a legal obligation for him. When we lose focus of God's grace in Christ Jesus, we will live out of legal obligation. We will not have heartfelt motivation to serve him in his name, to live for him in his name. We will think like, oh, i got to do this again. That's legal, a legalistic obligation. Chuck Colson, founder of Prison Fellowship and aide to former President Nixon, put it this way. Christians must always seek justice and civil order, striving to be the best of citizens, as Augustine put it, because we do for love of God what others do only because they are coerced by the law. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us not to be foolish like the Galatians. And replace your grace with legalism, putting ourselves and others in moralistic bondage. May your truth set us free to believe Jesus paid the expensive price for us. And may his death and power, the power of his resurrection, be evident in our own lives. And help us to live with heartfelt motivation to do good and obey you and love you for your own sake. And may your Holy Spirit empower us to live in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.